got me? Okay. Um, I think she had some doubts about whether she was going to make it through the night. You know, not, not Sydney, not Lexi's mom who's with Sydney, but Lexi was a little nervous about being apart from her. But she did great. We had a great time um, just getting to catch up and do, do something we don't do as much now that we have an uh, infant. I guess she's still an infant. Is a six-month-old an infant? Somebody let me know. Okay, good. So today we are, we are wrapping up our three-week mini-series that we've been uh, in on the two great commandments. And next week we are beginning a six-week series on the book of Hosea. So um, I'm really excited about that. I invite you to, to join us next week as we kick that off and uh, ask you to be praying for me uh, just for wisdom. Trying to preach through like 12 chapters in six weeks is going to be interesting. Don't worry, we're not going to cover every single verse. There's no way that would happen. But uh, yeah, I'm excited about that. Well, in December, an interesting Craigslist ad appeared for an engagement ring, an engagement ring for $1,800. Uh, and this was, this was a user in Pennsylvania that, post, that posted this ad. And I want to share a few snippets from the post. I don't know if you're familiar with these kind of creative, zany ads that people put on Craigslist, but this is probably my favorite one. He says, For sale I have an engagement ring. The ring is in like-new condition, only worn for a short period of time by Satan herself. <laughs> it comes with the original box, and after describing the ring in detail, he, he adds this. He says, It was originally purchased for a sum of money far greater than I am comfortable admitting. And then he provides a warning. He says, This ring may be cursed as it tends to leave a path of destruction behind it. Possible events associated with this ring include but are not limited to damage sustained to house, vehicle, and heart, downed power lines, fallen trees, and swarms of locusts. And after suggesting a few ways to possibly remove the curse, the post concludes, other than that, it's a very nice piece of jewelry. I'm looking to sell this soon before it brings any more bad luck into my life, and I'd rather have cash. If not sold by Christmas, I plan to throw it into the fires of Mordor. <laughs> and so... You know, we laugh and we chuckle at this story, as we should. It's a funny ad. But, but take a second and just imagine what this guy must have experienced. I mean, the ad's funny, but what he went through wasn't funny at all. It would really hurt to, to have that happen. Imagine what it would be like to have your fiancé come back after however brief amount of time and just hand you that ring back and say, you know what, I don't think so. What would you be going through if this external demonstration of your love and commitment to this woman became an external demonstration of her internal rejection of you? I mean, all in a moment, everything that was moving ahead, you know, thinking the future was going to be spent together, all of that's changed. That would hurt. You know, we all, we all need to be loved. And, and one of the things that, that's common about us as humans, there aren't a lot of things. I mean, there, there, there are some, but one of the things that is absolutely common across all people on the planet is that our hearts 
are made to love, to receive it, to give it, and we are constantly wanting it, we're constantly looking for it, I would say we are even searching for it. And sadly, instead of loving one another, what happens in life is we hurt one another a lot of times. And I want to be clear on something. I'm not just talking about romantic relationships. I'm talking about friends. I'm talking about family. Even the church. The very places where we're supposed to give and experience, receive love, we often hurt one another. I don't know about you, but I really want to experience real love. I mean, don't you want to receive and give real, unconditional love? Well, I believe that that is possible, and I believe that there's an offer on the table today for us to experience that kind of love, real love. And I I believe that as we look at at the text we're going to look at today, we'll we'll experience that. The question I want to look at is, is how can we experience and give real love? How can we experience and how can we give real love? Turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 19 through 21. And and I, I believe in this text we'll see the answer to that question. If you need a Bible today, there's a blue one there in the back of the pew in front of you. And as you're, you're turning to 1 John 4, I want to just let you know where we are in this, this letter. In chapter 4, the Apostle John begins teaching that love is essential to sanctification. Love is essential to sanctification. Uh, after teaching that love is displayed most clearly in Christ's death, which is witnessed by the Spirit in verses 7 through 16 of this chapter, and that love removes fear in verses 16 through 18, in verses 19 through 21, John begins to explain how we can experience and give real love. And today, as we look at this passage, we're going to see how we can know that we are loved, how we can love one another, and finally, what we can do about it how we can know that we're loved, how, can we, how we can love one another, and what we can do about it. And I want to pray real quick for us, and then we'll, we'll stand today as we do most weeks as we, as we read God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we come in here this morning uh, just grateful that, that we get to be here, that we get to see one another, we get to worship you, that we get to hear from your Word, that we get to encounter you in spirit and in truth. That is amazing. But I also know that we come in here, some of us with heavy hearts, some of us with glad hearts. I don't know. We're, we're in different places on that spectrum. And I don't know where my friends are at today, but you do. And regardless of where each one of us is at, I pray that you would come and that your spirit would speak life, would speak truth, that you would, by your grace, by your love, give us exactly what we need today to know that you are with us and that we are loved by you. I pray that this morning, this this time in this this passage would, would be like fresh wind to our spirits. Would you point us back to your son once again because we need that constantly. We are so prone to wander. Would you help us to behold him in all of his beauty, in all of his truth? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we read this. 
This is 1 John chapter 4, 19, verse 19 through 21. Verse 19, it says this, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. All right, you can take a seat. So those are, those are just three verses, but there's a lot of meat, there's a lot of power in these verses, I believe. And the first verse, I mean, right out the gate, we, we, we get the answer to the first question of how do we know, how can we know that we're loved? I mean, John says, we love because he first loved us. And really, kind of to paraphrase that, put it in how I would say it, he's like, listen, the only way that we are even capable of love is because God loved us first. Without his love, we've got nothing. We've got no chance at loving one another. I want to remind you of the sermon two weeks ago when we were in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 42, uh, we, were, we were talking about the lawyer's discussion with, with Jesus, and he asked what the two great commands were. And what, what I suggested was that in that discussion, what Jesus was trying to do was get this lawyer to come to a place where he would admit that he could not keep the law, that he couldn't even love God and love his neighbor as himself. In that context, what I believe John is teaching us here is that Followers of Jesus actually are able, we, we can love God and we can love our neighbors, but only because God loved us first and only because God has done something in us to enable us to do that. Now, that's, this, this verse is teaching how, how, how God loved us first, but how do we know that, you know? We, we, can, we can read that and say, we, we love because he first loved us, but how do we know that he loved us first? I think the best way uh, to, to, to see that, and, and really John explains it himself in the verses that Karen read for us this morning, which was ver- verse 7 through 12 of this, this same passage. And in that passage, uh, if you want to look at verses 9 and 10 with me, I think that'll help us out. It says, this is, this is chapter 4, verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. And when when he says it was made manifest, he means it was demonstrated among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So, the word that, that may, may stick out there, I think it's kind of a confusing word sometimes, is propitiation, but I think it's also how we understand what this means that God loved us first. So he sent Jesus to be a propitiation for our sins. And what that means is that through Jesus, God's wrath, his, his need to punish sin has been satisfied. His, his, the, the anger towards sin, his righteous just anger has been absolved in Christ's death. So Jesus' death on the cross, in your place, in my place, has absorbed every bit of God's holy anger towards us for our rebellion and our hatred of him. And so God 
is forever satisfied. There's nothing we can do to add to what Jesus has done or to take away from that. And so if we want to know that God loves us, we simply look at the cross. We simply set our eyes there and and set our gaze there because in the cross we see that the perfect God-man, Jesus Christ, paid the price for our sins by laying down his life. It wasn't, it wasn't incomplete. It was total. It paid the bill in full. And that's why it says that it was a propitiation. There's zero anger of God towards sin that was not taken care of in Christ's death. And this is real love because Jesus didn't deserve this death, and we did, and he took our place freely, and it was the Father's will, and so they, in the cross, took care of what you and I were responsible for. They paid the bill for us. And I, I believe that this is what real love is. I think we have a very backwards view of love in our culture. Most people think of love in some Hollywood, hot pink, ooey-gooey, something I want to gag myself with a spoon over, artificial just, you know, I love somebody in this, you know, sparks and fireworks kind of way. But Jesus didn't write you a song. He didn't take you to go see a meteor shower. He shed his blood for you. That is love, not Hollywood. And the cross makes it possible for us to experience and know real unconditional love, that God is pleased with us because of Jesus forever. It's a security, there's, there's a confidence in that that you cannot find anywhere else. And so the answer to the, the question of how do I know that God loves me is that he has demonstrated his love by sending Jesus to die in my place. He demonstrated his love by sending Jesus to die in my place. That's how we know that we are loved by God. But that, that is only the first part of, of, of what I want to talk about today. The second thing I said was, I think that we want to wrestle with the question, how do we know if we love God? You know, when it comes to this whole, this whole uh, idea of not only receiving love, and, but giving love, how do we know if we're giving love to God? How do we know where we're at on that? I think verse 20 helps us out with that. Let's look at it. It says this, If anyone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Don't you just love it when the Bible calls you a liar? (laughs) I mean, that's what John is saying here. He's saying, all of us who say that we love God but hate our brother are liars. And I, and I, I admit, I'm guilty of this. But the truth is, we all are. Because even though we don't consider ourselves liars, we don't think of, oh, I'm a liar, you don't have that thought, or you don't consider yourself as somebody who hates your brother, this text helps us see where the inconsistency is. Let's look at that. He says, if anyone lo- says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. And then he explains it. For he who does not love his brother 
whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. So what he is getting at there is when we fail to actively show love to somebody, in effect, that is hating them. Because, you know, think about it this way. One way to define love is to love, you know, Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. So loving somebody is treating them the exact way that I want to be treated. For you, it's treating them the way that you want to be treated, with respect, with dignity. You want to treat them in such a way that you, you know, serve them. That's how we all want to be, be treated. So when we fail to do that, John says that we, in effect, hate other people because we're demeaning them. We're not acknowledging that they have worth and value like we, we feel about ourselves. And so even, you know, what, what, is, what is also hard about this text is, is that when, when we think back to when Jesus was talking to that lawyer and the lawyer said, what's the great command? He only wanted to know one. Jesus said, well, the first is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And then he said, the second is, and a second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so what Jesus was saying is there's not just one great command, there's two, and the second one is like right behind it. It's right up next to it. It's definitely second, and it's definitely below, but it is, it is right up there with the first one. That's why he added it and lumped it in. And then he said, on these two hang the whole law and the prophets, right? And so what John is trying to get us to see is this loving your neighbor thing is serious business. Like, this is really, really important stuff. This isn't just like one thing among a whole bunch in the Bible. It's like, love God, love your neighbor. Here are the two biggest things that God wants from us. This is the, the picture for what life is supposed to look like for those of us who are followers of Jesus. Now, when we, when we read this verse, I don't know if you're like me, but when I read this verse and I hear that part where he says, now, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen, that just seems really weird to me. Like, you're telling me that it's impossible for me to love God if I don't love other people? And I, I don't think that, that what he's meaning here is that it's necessarily impossible or easier to love, love our neighbor than it is to love God. But I think his point is kind of the other way around. It's kind of flip that to say, if you love God, you will love your brother. If you love God, you will love your neighbor. And so the idea here is that if you have received and experienced the love of God the Father, if you have drank of the grace and mercy, drank, drunk, I don't know how to say that, <laughs> If you, have, if you have received that, taken that in, the natural response to that is to give that away. It's going to change you so much at the core of who you are that you're no longer going to be the same person. You're no longer going to live the same way. Your habits, your treatment of other people, of God, is going to change as you are changed by the love of God. And... What he's saying here, I want to I be clear on something. This whole idea we're called to love our neighbor, that's definitely true. But John's specifically talking about loving your brother, and I believe he's talking about it is, it is very clear that you are called to love other Christians, those who have also 
received of this love. There is a special uh, kind of love that we're supposed to call for those who, that we're supposed to have for those who are part of the family of God. And it doesn't mean that we don't love those who aren't Christians. It's just that it kind of is in concentric circles. It starts with our love for God, then our love for those who are of the faith, and then all people. And he's saying, like, this one is, is important. This is an important part of who we're called to love. Now, in, in today's Old Testament reading, Leviticus, uh, I think it was 11, 44 through 45. I think I have a typo here. Um, basically, the idea in that text was that we are called to consecrate ourselves and to be holy. And when we think of holiness, if I were to take the time to poll you guys, and I'm not going to for the sake of time, but if I did, I think what most of us have in our mind when we think about holiness is this idea of like, you know, being a monk and like spending all your time in the mountains like reading God's word and not being stained by the world. But when I think of consecrating yourself to God and being holy, I think of being like God. And I think one of God's core character traits and one of the core things about who he is is he is love. I mean, think about it. Look at, when we look at the cross, when we look at the way that he treats those throughout history who have rebelled against him, he is motivated by a heart of love. And so the reason why I think this whole love thing is so central when, when Jesus says, love God and love your neighbor, it's we are no more like our Savior, we are no more like our Father than when we love. And not when we just love in some feely, you know, internal kind of thing, but when we live a life of love where we demonstrate and we sacrifice and we serve. And so I want us to, to, to not think of this, this, this the, the option isn't like, okay, so God wants me to be holy, so I got to go get away from all the bad people in the world. And then it's like God's schizophrenic, and then he's like, hey, you need to love your neighbor. And so it's like, which one is it, God? It's not, they're not at odds. He's saying, listen, I want you to go be in the world and love people. I want you to go be in the church and love people. And at the same time, as you do that, I don't want you to be stained. I don't want you to take on the habits of the people around you that are, that are unbecoming of people who, call, who are known by my name, that are against my character and, and who I am. I want you to be out there on the front lines loving, but do it in a way where you don't compromise my truth and you don't compromise your character while you do that. And that is hard stuff. Most people in, in, in today's Christian world pick one option. They either go and they love real well, but then they start to get caught up in sin, or they just kind of shield themselves away from people. And I believe God's saying, it's not either or, it's both. And, and the beauty of it all is, is and I'll, I'll come back to this later, but the beauty of it all is he's made it possible for us to do this. For those of us who, who have trusted in Christ and have received the Spirit, we have the fuel to be able to love people and remain holy all at the same time. And it's very hard because we have to depend on God and we can't do that in our flesh or on our own strength. But it is actually a possibility, a reality for us to go and live this out as we look to Him and as we rely on Him for our strength. That's another sermon for another day. I need to get back on track. Um, so, loving one another is, this, is a primary way that we act like God. Now, I don't know, but I just, 
I just want to be careful. At this point in the sermon, I'm kind of bringing a sledgehammer and a two-by-four in some ways. I'm really not. It's really the word here. But what I don't want us to do is, is, is get the wrong message. When you read this text and you hear this stuff like, well, if I don't love my brother, then I don't love God, and all this stuff, what could happen very easily is we could start to despair, and your mind could go to a place, well, if I don't love my brother, am I not a believer? Like, am I not a Christian if I don't perfectly love all of my neighbors and my brother? And I don't think that's what he's getting at at all. Because the context, if you remember what I said uh, as we were kind of jumping in here, is the context of this passage is that love is essential to sanctification. So John, if, if we were to walk through his, his letter, leading up to this point, he's actually dealing with this whole uh, problem of there's certain people in the church that are kind of tell, telling people that you have to believe other things and that you have to live a certain way that's contrary to the gospel, and they're telling these, these Christians who actually do have it right, they're kind of trying to tell them that they're wrong and they don't have it together and that they're not saved because they're not living as they are. And John's point here is not that we should all just kind of stick our tails in between our legs and go, oh my gosh, I guess I don't even know Jesus because I don't love well. That's not what he's getting at. He's saying, listen, the way he's, he's telling these people, you do know Jesus, but the way that you measure your, your maturity in him the way that you gauge how closely you're following him and becoming like him is by how well you love. So our love for God is not an indicator of whether or not we know him at all. It's an, it's an indicator of how well we know him and how much he is making us like him. So there's a difference between seeing this in light of our justification being declared righteous and accepted by God and seeing this as, a, as an issue of sanctification of our progress in holiness and becoming like him. Is a distinction, hopefully that's clear, because that's a very different way to read it. And so I really want, want, want us to know that he's not saying, if you want to be accepted by God, you have to go love your neighbor first. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, if you've been accepted by God, you will go and love your neighbor. Getting the order right is very important. You don't want to put the cart before the horse here. But this, this, this verse, this really does help us answer that second question, though. What he's saying here is, if you want to know, how do, how do I know if I love God? If you want to know, you know that you love God if you demonstrate your love by loving your brothers and sisters. You know that you love God if you demonstrate your love for him by loving your brothers and sisters. And then I want to I talk about that last question as well. You know, how do, we, how do we demonstrate our love for God? So not just how do I know if I love God, but how do I demonstrate my love for God? How do I actually live this out? You know, what do I do in light of everything we've been talking about this morning? Look at verse 21. He says, And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. John makes it real clear here. He says, listen, this isn't just me giving you this instruction. He says, this commandment we have from him. We have this commandment from God that whoever loves God must also love his brother. So for those of us who know God, for those of us who have been accepted and changed by him, by his grace, loving your brother, loving other Christians is not something that is like, oh, you know, maybe you ought to do that. It's part and parcel of who you are called to be and what you're called to do. This is at the core of our faith. 
But when it comes to demonstrating your love for God, I think that there are really, I'm not saying that these are the only ways, but I think of the, the three primary ways that we demonstrate our love for God are these. The, fir- the first one being you demonstrate your love for God by receiving God's love. By receiving God's love. That may seem weird. It's like, well, how am I loving God just by letting him love me? Well, the verse says we love because he first loved us. And I think Carissa, is Carissa here today? I don't see her. She pointed this out during our uh, Mercy Triumphs Over Judgment series. And I think this might help you, help us understand why it's important to begin with just receiving God's love. She said something along the lines of this. She said, we all want to be known as we actually are not as people think we are, right? Like You and I, we all want people to know us as we truly are, not just as some conception that they have in their own head, right? I mean, because what, 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 what good is that? I mean, the people have all kinds of thoughts and, and so on about us that aren't true. We want to be known truly. And I believe that God wants the same thing from us. He wants us to take him at his word and believe that he is who he says he is. He doesn't want us to think of him as we think he is, but as he says he is. And that's what we need. It's really important that we get that. And so the first part of this is just receiving God's love, trusting that he loved us first. Because if we don't do that, like he said in the, in the first verse, in, in verse 19, we don't have a shot at loving. We are only able to love if we believe that God has loved us and we receive that. So it's, it's the first step in this because without it, you can't do the other two. We have to be given a new heart. We have to be given the ability to actually carry this out. And that only comes from receiving God's love through trusting in Christ. And so if you're, if you're somebody who finds yourself here today, maybe you've been in church, maybe you've read the Bible, but you've never actually embraced God's love for you. You've never actually placed your faith in what Christ has done on the cross that through his life, death, and resurrection, you can be known and loved by God forever no matter what. That's the first step today. And you can experience God's love for yourself in a very real way if you will begin there and begin, begin by believing that Jesus died for you and that God loves you. Regardless of where you've been, regardless of if you get your act together right now today, despite all of your shortcomings and baggage and all that stuff, God loves you. we got to begin there. That's the first thing, to receive God's love. The second way that we demonstrate our love for God is by loving his children. By loving his children. And this is where the whole sermon has kind of been moving. I want to I kind of think about it this way. God is our Father, right? And your brothers and sisters in Christ, the people that sit here in the pews with you today, the ones that are around the world following Jesus regardless of of other circumstances, are all your brothers and sisters. We are all God's children. Now, if I were to come up to you, those of you who are fathers or mothers, or those of you who who aren't, but you you can still imagine, if I walked up to you and said, man, I really love you, and then your kid walked by and I told your kid that I hated him, or I like, you know, kicked them. That would be really weird on a lot of levels. But if I treated your kid poorly, you would totally deny and not accept my statement that I love you. Because if I hate your kids, in effect, I hate you. And so that's what he's getting at here, is that, that it's, it just is so backwards to not love the children 
of our Father. Now, I think as I've, as I've read this passage this week, this, this point has been stirring in my heart in a way I mean, sometimes, I mean, God, God stirs in my heart as I read his word, but this particular point, it's been weighing on me because I think that we really mess this up as Christians today. I think that even right here in our local body at Skillman, we mess this up. I mess this up. You mess this up. Because I think there are people in our church that we just don't like. And it's okay to admit that part. It's actually the first step to learning how to love them. But I think there are people that we come to church that we just don't like. And, and as a result of that, sometimes we mistreat them. We treat them in ways that aren't loving. And in a room this size, even though it's not, you know, we're not a mega church by any standard, even compared to Europe, um, it's probably safe to say that we've gossiped and we've slandered about each other. And it's probably safe to say that we've ignored one another's needs. And I'm not talking about the ones we didn't know about. I'm talking about the ones that are obvious. And it's probably safe to say that we've had thoughts like, man, I really wish that person didn't come to Skillman. When we do that, when we think that kind of stuff and when we treat each other in those kind of ways, we fail to honor the gospel and it breaks. It breaks our Father's heart. Just like an earthly father hates to see his kids fight, our Heavenly Father hates it when we fight. And the sad thing is, a lot of that fighting is happening inside and we're not even man enough to deal with it. We just hold it in here and harbor all kinds of horrible things feelings and thoughts. Now on the flip side of that, when we serve one another and when we put one another's needs before our own and we get down on our hands and knees and, and get, get our hands dirty for the sake of those that are in our family, those that are of the household of God, that is so pleasing to God's heart. He is radically blessed when we do that. You and I, here as a local body at Skillman, we are family in Jesus. But I think this, this also applies, if you think kind of an idea of concentric circles, moving out from our local body, take it to the next level, and this applies to other denominations and other churches here in our city. And think about how often you've heard other Christians, it may be here at Skillman or it may be outside of Skillman, who diss on other churches who diss on other denominations and kind of make fun of them for the things that they do that are different or weird. You know, all the, all the Bible church and Presbyterians are like throwing stones at the charismatics. And all the charismatics thinks, think that we're not, you know, saved or something because we don't speak in tongues. You have all these back and forth battles that go on. I mean, I've even heard people in our own church say things like, man, we're not like Watermark. We're not Watermark. Or I've heard us say, well, we're not like that church. We point our fingers at the mega church or the church that's not us. And when we do that, I believe that that is absolutely outside of what God wants for us. That's completely inconsistent with who God is calling us to be. 
has no place here. The reality is that the people at Watermark, the people at Skillman Church of Christ, the people at the Spanish Church of God over here off of Ross, and every congregation in this city are brothers and sisters of yours. They're brothers and sisters of mine, the ones in there who have trusted in Christ. And we're called to love them. We're called to demonstrate love to them. We're not enemies, we're brothers, we're sisters. Now, on the opposite side of when we trash talk each other, when we actually join hands and we unify around the gospel and we get, get together and do things for our city and do things for our world together, even though we don't agree on everything, that is very pleasing to our Father. We might be able to, to completely break his heart when we talk badly about our other brothers and sisters and other churches in the area, but when we do things together and we lay aside our differences and decide to unite under the cross, God is so pleased. So it goes either way. We have a potential to really break his heart. We have a potential to really bless his heart. But we're family in Jesus. And lastly, just for the sake of, of kind of covering all of our bases, this even extends beyond just you know our local church, the other Protestant denominations in our city and world. This extends really to all people who claim the name of Christ, regardless if they're Catholic, Orthodox, Protestant. That's really hard for us to think because there's some things that we have, you know, ideas that we have or doctrines that we really, you know, wince at. But the reality is there are people in Catholic churches, Orthodox churches, other churches that are far from our tribe, so to speak, that believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that life is found in his name and nowhere else. And if they do, they're a brother and they're a sister. And God calls us to love them. When we exclude anybody, any group from God's table, he despises our, our, our gatherings. But when we extend grace and mercy to those who believe things that are radically different than us, but as long as they unite around Christ, when we extend grace and mercy to them, God is pleased and it, and it brings great gladness to his heart because we are all family in Jesus. Um, U2 has a, a new song. I don't know if any of you stayed up to watch Jimmy Fallon's first episode on Monday night. We didn't. I recorded it and watched it the next day. But uh, they were his guest on, on uh, his first show on Tonight Show. And uh, they have this new song called Invisible. And I don't know if you've heard it, but I love the bridge. It's only got one line, and it's got this beautiful truth that I think is exactly what I believe uh, God is trying to say to us in this text. It says this. It says, there is no them, there is only us. There is no them, there's only us. And when I think about being the church and being the bride of Christ, those who are in the bride are, them, are, are not them, they are us, regardless if they're Protestant, Catholic, whatever. If they are part of the bride, they are them. There is no, I mean, they are us, there is no them. So the second way we demonstrate our love for God is by loving his children. I want to give you one more uh, way that we do this, and then we'll land the plane. And the last way 
that you demonstrate your love for God is by simply loving God. Just love God. And you're going, okay, that sounds, you've said the same thing in two parts of a sentence. What? Let me unpack that for you. Um, when, when we're called to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we're called to get love God completely. Completely. And so the way that I conceive of this is not just have some great feeling in your heart for God, although that's appropriate and that's good. But when God wants us to love him like that, he wants us to love him in such a way where we give him all of us all the time. I think that's what I, a simple way to think of it. What does it mean to love God? To give him all of me all of the time. It means that we don't hold back. There's not parts of us that we're like, you know what, I don't really think I'm ready to part with this. Or it's not, there's that certain pet sin that I just don't really want to give up. It's not holding back, giving him all of us all the time. And the reason why I think that's the way that we love God is because that's the way that he's loved us. He didn't hold back. He sent Jesus. Jesus gave his very life for us. He gave us, gave up everything that he had so that we could be brought back to the Father, that we could be reconciled. And it's only by him, by his Holy Spirit, that we're able to love like he loves. And so, how do we love God? You lay down your life, you lay down who you are, your ambitions, your dreams, all of that stuff. Die to yourself and show God that he means more to you than anything else. That's what it means to love God. So how do you demonstrate your love for God? You receive his love, you love his children, and you love God. And you know, back to, to circle back to the beginning, you want to experience in real love, you, you want to experience, you want to give real love, this is how you do it. It's not find, found through finding a soulmate. It's not found through getting your marriage where you want it to be. It's found through receiving God's love loving one another like he loves us, and loving God as well. Let's pray.